Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. So good afternoon, you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds Community Radio at Chapel FM Art Centre. We're in Studio One. It's four o'clock, although it says five o'clock on the clock, which is interesting. We still haven't moved the clocks, but uh, I'm here in Studio One with Alex DeLittle, who is somebody I really want to talk to and to know more about. Hello, Alex. Hi, Peter. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me. No, it's lovely to have you here. You're an artist working with sound. I mean, is that, if, you, if you're at some kind of gathering of people where you, perhaps people don't know you or are not in the sort of arts world, people say, what do you do? What do you say? It's really, uh, there are lots of ways into it. I think that is a good one because an artist in the same way that anyone else might be creative with something but my particular medium, others might work with stone and sculptural contexts or paint things, and I tend to work with sound. That comes from having a background in music and doing a music degree and always playing music and then moving into kind of composing, organising sounds. And then I suppose departing from this idea of instruments and pieces, performances, um, pretty much completely, but being interested in maybe how we listen to the world, how do we understand things through listening, how does sound spell out the ways that we might relate to one another, relate to our environments, how we might think, how we might be. Mm. Um, And there are lots of interesting ways of exploring that. And that's something that I think, you know, maybe there's not loads of, um, certainly in the north of England. And so, yeah, I, I find it perpetually fascinating. Now, so I'm listening. I'm at a party with you. I've got my drink and I've got my cheese nibble, and I'll be going. Ah, no, I won't be actually, because I, I really—is <laughs> that what you do? Some mm. people say, "Oh, you know, I work in Sainsbury's or whatever." But yeah, I—I—I—it I, sounds fascinating. And from being a musician, then, uh, yeah, I mean, what what kind of musician were you when you went to study music? Did you have an idea that you would get into this, or was it something you've kind of fallen into? No idea. Um, but I was always there. I think there are common threads between, you know, kinds of things that I do, creativity in general, being a musician, um, that would, that has led me in this direction. I was always interested. I was playing the trombone. I was playing drums. I was arranging things, singing, but I was always interested in freeness. So maybe initially that was about jazz and improvisation And then over the course of a music degree, maybe it became a bit more about like experimental composition, you know, pieces where maybe all the instructions aren't there and certain elements are maybe made up on the spot. Um, Thinking about how we are in in a space, maybe breaking down this idea of audience and performer. I was always interested in these kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. And then I think that led to, you know, what lies beyond that? What lies beyond that? What lies beyond that? Uh, and I ended up in this nether zone that is resultingly quite difficult to describe. 
Well, it, it does make sense if you think of, yeah, an artist working with stone or with paint or with words and with sound, sculpting sound, I suppose, making mm. making sound into different shapes. Um, we met in an odd way, as you rightly say. It'd be interesting for our listener to, to know. We were I was having a swim with a friend in the wharf and we just got out and there was sort of other damp-looking people standing there and you were one of them and we got talking and and then you said yeah you 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 you, you actually talked about working in sound you're a sound artist and then we sort of we've had a couple of coffees and also you're in cjc the wonderful chapel of jazz collective and i know you as a yeah i just it strikes me as quite amusing that the of what i've heard of yours online in terms of the sound and the delicacy of that and yet you play the trombone, which <laughs> I think some people would say is not perhaps a delicate instrument. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, do you use do you use trombones in your in your in your work? Do you know one of the first? Where are we now? Twenty twenty three. Been ten years ago. The first ever piece that I wrote that I had performed was for four trombones and a large reflective surface, uh, and it was performed at the first London Contemporary Music Festival on the roof of a car park in Peckham. And the idea was that you had these four trombones that would uh, play these, we call them bell patterns, but these kind of quite rhythmic patterns. And they would play in time with their reflection coming back from the wall. But as they did that, they would move closer to and further away from the wall to a kind of more or less choreographed pattern. Mm. And because of that decreasing or increasing distance, you get these rhythms that would very gradually shift against one and each other, almost like kind of a Doppler pattern mm. when like an ambulance goes past and you hear the siren change pitch. Um, so, yeah. That was my first uh, ever piece I had played, and it was kind of wild, but um, people liked it. So, um, some again, we're at this party, and somebody says, so, uh, you know, yeah, but where... Where do you do this art with mm. sound mm. thing? I mean, I'm just, I'm just. For instance, have you had a day doing that today? Who with what? What's been going on for you? Give us an example of the kind of week or day that you have that involves you in being a sound artist. Yeah, how does it take hold? What do I make? They're all really good questions, and I suppose one key emphasis is I didn't think, okay, this is what I want to be. How do I do it? It was more something that emerged from maybe a series of questions that I had and maybe the easiest way to answer that is to give some examples of the kinds of things that I make or the questions that I have I did um I did a kind of lot of it came out of doing a PhD um postgraduate degree at the University of Leeds and I was thinking a lot about how we design cities and you know we might Architecture is a very visual practice. We think about how mm. things look and we have um, plans and diagrams of how buildings, how big they'll be, the materials we'll use. But very rarely do we consider the sort of sonic implications of the ways that we change our cities. Um, and so I spent a few years thinking about this question, you know, why don't we do that and how, how, might, we, how might that impact us if we did? Um, mm. And so I spent time developing a listening practice for architects um, so this idea that, you know, before we consider this or ab are able to consider this, we must first um, be sensitive to sound. We must first understand the impacts that it has on us. Mm. And actually a lot of cities, I would I would wager the majority nowadays, are quite a, can be quite oppressive sonic environments. You notice the kind of 
abundance of like noise cancelling headphones and technologies like this that are designed to block out our experience of the world. So I kind of wanted to ask what what does a what does a sound considered city look like? What does a you know what does a sound environment look like that in might enrich us or improve our experience of of what's around us and each other? So that's quite interesting in terms of so somebody might ask so what's what's the applied version of what you do how how can it i mean again i'm being some from a playing devil's advocate perhaps it's like you walk into a room it's it's an installation in an an art gallery and there are different sounds that's a piece of art but in terms of applying what you know and what you've researched to the world i mean how a city sounds and advising architects or or maybe encouraging architects to think about that that's that's that is very applied isn't it it's very functional it's a useful thing to do that's the beautiful thing about it and that's what i enjoy so much i think is i feel like i'm able to use this artistic or creative space as um a crucible for thinking that might also be applied um i really hesitate to use this phrase in the real world because i think it's constructed and not uh, it sets up a, a binary that's not real, but but in an applied sense. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I've done, you know, I had this listening practice that I've toured around different galleries and uh, in Europe, America and the UK. But then kind of coming back a few years later to Leeds, I've actually been working with a landscape architect, Hannah Beard, in a project where with working with the Civic Trust and the City Council, um, we've used sound as a way to bring to life master plans of uh, a master plan is a kind of potential design for how an area might be. Mm. And Hannah's been creating these master plans about bits of the east of the city centre, and we've used sound as a way to bring to life those ideas to mm. to try and think about how those places might one day sound if these changes were made. And then we've used that to convince developers and the council of the kind of um, potential of these plans. So it's this really interesting thing of like using sound as a way to instrumentalize or to to convince people of of, of making changes um, that might be really positive for a city. So it can be super um, conceptual and it can be really direct as well. That's really interesting. And I think, you know, you're, when, you, when, when people, I guess, design some sort of housing development, they make a model of it. And in that nowadays, it wouldn't necessarily be a 3D model, although that's how I remember them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, to make a kind of model of sound, what the sound, what a place would sound like, I think is really interesting. And uh, it's really made me think about different cities and different sounds. The only city I... I I've been to where the sound was appreciably different. I think it was Oslo, where there, all the buses were uh, electrified. Yeah, they're all electric buses, and there was hardly any traffic. Nobody hooted. It was very polite, and it was so quiet. It was such a quiet city. It was a, to the point where it was. It, I, I didn't find it sterile. I found it actually really rather lovely, actually. But um, and then you think of contrast Rome or somewhere like that with with you know the kind of traffic behavior and i've never really thought of that you've just you've just been somewhere pretty extraordinary and we're going to hear some sounds from from that experience so maybe you could just talk about where you've been and the residency you've just done and and maybe we could hear a piece of sound to kick us off yeah absolutely so um i've just had a i it's this thing of bouncing between these different working um, styles of working, and sometimes I've got really got my artist hat on. And I suppose, yeah, earlier last year, 20, late 2022, I was invited um, to have a residency in East Java, 
as part of an arts festival called the East Java Biennale, which is really designed to showcase and platform East Javan artists. Um, in Indonesia, Java is one of the bigger islands and also the most populous island. On the west coast, you have Jakarta, which many people might know is the capital. Mm-hmm. But on the east coast, uh, there's much less cultural infrastructure. So this festival's about, you know, what is there? Um, and I was invited to go over for a month. Um, there was one other artist from the UK that came over. And we were both partnered with different artists or artist groups um, over there. And I was partnered with... Um, a performance collective um, in a small city called Nanjuk, which is, yeah, basically on the eastern edge of, of Java Island. Mm. And we spent a month together living, working, eating, <laughs> um, and and building, yeah, like sharing, I think, ideas and kind of cultural perspectives, but, but then eventually making a project together um, mm. in response to a particularly interesting site, which I guess I'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, should we kick off with the sound? Yeah, let's. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> So that was, um, yeah, I was living in a, in a tiny village in, uh, this outside the city called Nanjuk, and this was just the, the soundscape that you'd wake up to in the morning, the sounds that are around you. Um, you can hear the sound of motorcycles, which is the you know pretty much the unique mode of transport. There's the odd car, um, but you, uh, that's one of the, the most kind of pre- predominant sounds that you hear, and I would say anywhere in Indonesia. You can hear the, the chirping of birds. Yeah. Um, maybe you can imagine the strong heat of the sun coming up over the trees, strong blues of the sky, greens of coconut leaves and papaya trees. Um, mm. Very, very different to our present environment here in East Leeds. So you were in this village, and, I mean, the idea of just being a resident sound artist or artist working with sound in a village working with a performance collective for a month sounds totally idyllic to me but I mean it's uh, but and uh, and was it <laughs> well, I mean how do you dig into that I always think with residences it's like you know I think you maybe take a little time to know what you're doing and and to, and to orientate yourself so what, what what was that first phase like for you with being there it's a really good question. Yeah, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that I personally get as well. Why me? Like, mm. uh, what you know, I really must do a good job of this. Um, mm. What does a good job look like in the context of this kind of cultural exchange? Um, and I suppose the context was that there wasn't really a lot of English being spoken. So we were leaning heavily on Google Translate and hand gestures and uh, just kind of non-verbal communication, um, which is more possible than you might think. But I suppose the first kind of, um, yeah, a couple of weeks was really about 
being exposed to lots of lots of things that um they felt were important to to show me um really kind of things about a javanese history and culture um and what what kind of surprised well not surprised me but what i thought was really interesting was quite how passionate and in, passionate about and engaged with their javanese local heritage folklore mysticism spirituality ecology history they were and made me think about myself in my context often i feel like i'm trying to push my own history away or i'm not i'm interested in other things and that was a an interesting thing to experience at the outset and did you would in were you given a task it's like was, did you have to come up with some work as part of the residency uh, or or was it completely open ended so uh the idea was create something for an exhibition um as part of this festival you had artists coming from Japan and China and Germany and France and the UK so it's a real thing about kind of cultural exchange within the program um the group that I worked with they're called Bathara Lendir and they're a group of four artists um instrument builders two of them one is building modular synthesizers into old gamelan casings one is building instruments out of agricultural javanese agricultural materials um one is a performance artist um and one is a kind of um, computer programmer visual artist together they honed in on a particular area of east java um and decided that we would make a piece in response to this area and what was interesting about this area is whilst it was inland it had these kind of um saltwater springs um and also deposits of coral and shells from when this area was underneath the sea 15 million years ago yeah. um but it also was drenched in kind of colonial history and had these folkloric stories kind of circling around it mm. um but simultaneously there were these um really present effects of climate change decreasing water levels much reduced um um ecology like plant life and and animal ecology so all of these kinds of concerns of i suppose like javanese culture collapsed into one area mm. and the idea is that we would create a piece in response to this area wow that's that's uh, that's quite a tall order actually in terms of you know trying to synthesize or you know filter your experience in one month into something that makes a statement and about that i mean i suppose it's about your experience so you're not trying to solve the whole the problems mm. of the you know the ecosystem in mm. in that place but can you play us another bit of sound that maybe relates to uh the folklore i'm interested in that yeah absolutely um i mean what should we go to i think like this this next file in the list actually is quite interesting because this is the second day that I was there and it was um a ritual um of a I think it's Islamic it's adjacent to Islam but it's a kind of local as uh, Javanese interpretation of that if you like mm. and I went round to one of the guy's houses and his father holds this ritual every I think it was Friday um and it's a group of um a group of about 20 or 30 men chanting and uh, so let's have a listen to this yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 
So yeah, they, they sat around and it reminds me a lot of the zikr in um, Islamic culture. Um, but this was like a real locus of, of coming together. Mm. And we then sat around for like two, three hours afterwards and people would just spontaneously burst into song. And there might be local folk songs about particular, you know, things that might have been observed in the environment or, or messages. And the Abbey Manu, the guy whose house it was, his uncle began also to kind of impart bits of wisdom on me. You know, mm. in Javanese culture, we only think about today. Uh, we don't concern ourselves with tomorrow. Um, mm. This idea of presence in your environment. Another couple of things were really important that came out of I guess my time there, but also initially with those conversations was second, this notion of collectivity, of being together, even without an agenda necessarily, um, which I think is interesting. And then fi the final thing is um, this idea of slowness or slow living. Mm. Um, and I think the three things all kind of relate, but these were all massive revelations to me and um, <laughs> came through these kind of, you know, collective situations which were quite frequent of storytelling of song of ritual um which was a real i mean a real privilege to be part of this it what it reminds me of is the idea of the kind of the irish session you know the the again the people sort of say in a pub you know and it's not a performance people will talk and chat and then a piece of then somebody starts playing or they start singing or a story comes and i, I you know that that it it feels to me very closely related to that, and maybe there's a form of that in all sort of cultures that we've we've we're losing at different rates. Um, do you think it was a particularly a rural a rural phenomenon that in 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 terms of where you were in in Java, or was it? Do you think it's it's preserved more as a culture, generally speaking, in Indonesia? I guess I really resist the um, idea of being an expert on this, having only visited. No, certain yeah, set of sites but in my experience there's a kind of certain um, ubiquity to this you know this style mm. of being and actually the people in, that I would stay with in the city would, would be very much in tune with this kind of stuff and actually where I was wasn't super rural it was part of you know Nandrik is might people describe it as a city but it's it's kind of more a constellation of villages but this kind of idea of a sprawling um, I wouldn't go as far as metropolitan but certainly towny more mm. than you know, middle of nowhere, very agricultural. The, the closest analogue I can think of the, from a UK point of view is somewhere like Northamptonshire. And, uh, you know, you you tell people, oh, I'm going to Nandrick, and people say, why Why are you going there? There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing there. But that was kind of the beauty of it, in a way, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like yeah. there were no other, no other European faces there at all. So it was a real privilege to... Yeah. So there you are. You, you've got you've got this thing to make though by the end of the month. Mm. And so, uh, at what stage do you start thinking, 
what's this what 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 am I going to make what what, mm. what how am I going to do this and I was thinking of what the next stage was what mm. was how did things begin mm. to slip into place for you so that's about the place and the place that we chose to or they chose for us all to respond to which was a, an area of Nanjuk um called Lengkong so on we hopped on these motorbikes and drove an hour to this kind of small village in Lengkong called Bangle village um and we we did a sort of a first recce trip and then we went back for two days to do uh to spend some time in the site make recordings and so on both times we met a guide someone from the village so someone who was kind of one of the village leaders and here we we begin to be in quite a rural setting so you arrive in this village and and it's really at the end of a road the road kind of stops <clears throat> that's by the villagers and then um, we meet the we meet the guide, and then we hop back on the motorbikes and we ride across like farmers' fields and up the sides of like um, rocky escarpments, and it's very very hair raising, until we get to this particular location or a couple of locations. There are a couple of locations we visited. I have to ask you first: Were you yeah. on the back of a bike, or are you in are you actually riding one? I was. Um, I think. I was on the back. I yeah. think people. I'm glad about that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go um, on. Sorry. Yeah. You. 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 You were going up the rocky escarpments. And it was fascinating. Yeah. yeah. We arrived in this kind of clearing in the woods, and in the middle was a stone which had ancient transcriptions on it, uh, which related to a kind of ancient Javanese kingdom that would that that um, previously kind of administered this area. Um, we kind of carried on through, and we saw these like bubbling salt water springs around the bend of a river um of which i have a recording that i can play in a minute um and then you know they, these this kind of onslaught of storytelling would come you know that this these coral deposits here are the bones of a giant that fell and um you know that's that's why these are here that mountain over there is shaped like it is because actually when the Chinese came to Java, their boat was upturned and this was the beginning of this mountain. Mm. Um, in colonial times, um, you know, my the guide was saying, you know, my grandfather came to take water from these salt springs and was caught. And then he was made to um, give forced labour on a local sugar plantation. So you kind of, as soon as we stepped into this area, there's this swirling of stories relating to kind of ancient culture, colonial history, um, folklore, um, you know, but then also this visible kind of um, evidence of deforestation, of, yeah. of um, falling water levels. So this is just kind of rich soup of, of stuff um, that there was to respond to. And then after that initial village uh, visit to the village, we, we decided, OK, we, we're going to go back and we're going to just do a really deep kind of spend two days here, um, make recordings. Um, the, the guy in the collective, Lamajan, who's a performance artist, was making performative responses to the site, so um, making performances with rocks or with the water, and that was all filmed. So we were thinking about how we would capture this engagement, the materiality of the site. We were transcribing stories. Um, we were responsibly taking um, samples of the material, mm. um, and we were building up a kind of, uh, yeah, a, a stack of material that we could then work with. So have you got any sound from this place? Which I'm very intrigued to hear. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if we jump to track number five, then this is a kind of ambient recording of we're at the we're at the bend of the river here, and we're, our ears are surrounded by these bubbling salt springs. Let's have a listen. So yeah, there you are recording the Salt Springs and you've gone back to for a couple of days to really do a deep dive into that place. And so, yeah, what was the next stage after that? How did you progress that? If you, if you Presumably you've got all this material. Mm. And I, I always find when you've been researching something, there is that moment where you've got all this stuff and you go, oh, right, I've got to do something with it now, which is kind of <laughs> exciting but also sometimes challenging. But, yeah, what... Did, yeah, you didn't have too much time, so what happened? I think <coughs> the beauty of this whole creative process was to be able to be led by the guys that I was working with. I was mm. constantly aware of this sense that I didn't want to extract things. I also didn't... I'm not um, an authority on, on, on Javanese culture and history, folklore, so in terms of that, you know, the the... I'm going to make the decisions. I, I was really happy for them to lead. They were already a performance, um, on, like, collective. So the two instrument builders had built these amazing instruments. Um, Lamajan, the performance artist, had made these beautiful performances in response to the site. So we decided that we would, um, yeah, create a performance that the ba- that would later be the basis of a sound installation. We would And we would record that performance, and then we would install that recording. And... Um, so it it was about how we would work together performatively and how we would we 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 saw these salt springs almost as portals it's like we visited there and we stepped through a portal into this kind of world of folklore of mysticism you know visible um deep time ancient history colonial history all of these kind of shifting layers almost like the tectonic plates mm. of the site itself so we wanted to bring a listener into this, into this kind of um, sense of time, and the the beginning of the world, but also the end of the world, kind of. Um, so it's, it, the performance became this kind of ritual in order to do that, to transport, not to say this is what the site site is like, but how can we transport a listener to somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of things like putting, you know, huge amounts of different recordings onto a program where I could perform with them live through a series of different controllers and to work with these to add um, to manipulate them in different ways. And then we just experimented. And another thing that we did that was that felt interesting was with the materials we took from the site, we developed a series of instruments. So we had a bowl of the salt water with kind of what we call hydrophones, which are water microphones, and a lama jam would perform using this water and create these sounds. 
Um, we had uh, sand that, were, that had kind of microphones running through it. And we also had a series of rocks that were amplified. So we would use the materials from the site as the basis to then kind of expand this, mm. this conjuring of, of all of the things that comprise it. And are you able to, I mean, as a, as a final sort of, uh, sort of moment in this experience for you, are you able to recreate any of that final performance in sound here or not it's that you don't have i that. have a clip of it that we can listen to. yeah that'd yeah, be great yeah, yeah yeah so in this clip you have um you can hear the instruments um the two instrument builders rio uh he created these synthesizers chrismon this kind of architect uh sorry um creating instruments out of agricultural materials you can also hear a kind of a midi composition which is um, contributed by Abby Manu, one of the other members of the collective. You can hear field recordings that I collected. Um, so it's a real, it's complex and there's a real mixture of stuff. We're going to play track eight, if that's okay. So that was a piece that you created as part of the residency in East Java. Um, and Alex, just to come to, yeah, would be, you, you did, yeah, that would be true to say you created that with the other artists as part of the final performance, was it? Yeah, it was a clip of uh, probably an hour and a half long performance. Right. So we just heard, you know, like one yeah, minute yeah, of yeah, yeah, sure. something which you know there's a lot yeah it kind of evolved a lot and actually got quite noisy and quite kind of dark at certain points and had um you know we'd have Lama Jam performing these different instruments that we created and then we might do things collectively and then there would be a dance element to it and there would be lighting so there was kind of a lot going on I guess and then the idea is that this coming together very in a very live context with one another would then this audio will now be the basis for an installation that we'll create uh, this December in uh, East Java, which will have other elements. So it will have maps of the space that were created by members of the collective. There'll be performance videos. There'll be materials from the space. Um, and there'll be this kind of constellation of artefacts that evoke, I suppose, these these um, this incredible complexity. And are you, are you going back for that? Uh, sadly, I don't think so. So... It sounds wonderful, and it sounded really interesting. I love those little crackles. What, what was that? What was the sort of crackling? That was coral. That was, that was coral. Okay, coral, ancient coral deposits from about fifteen million years ago. That's yeah. extraordinary. 
So I loved the kind of contrast of the, of the sort of the, the, the very trebly little crackly mm. sounds with the boomy, mm. and there's a sort of there's a sort of like a a, a sort of glissando, sort of sort of like a descending thing yeah. going on as well. That midi, that kind of composition in the background, was written by Abby Manu, one of the members of the collective, and for him it was a, it was an element of the performance which was about evoking how he imagines those ancient civilizations to feel. Mm. So these really interesting different perspectives of like, you know, I'm collecting recordings directly from the site and we're playing them back. This is mm. quite kind of a direct interpretation. And then you have Abby Manu who's like, what do I imagine this this would have sounded like? I'm going to create a piece of music in response. And then you have other people who are, you know, um, Chrismon was interested in the agricultural element and actually the agriculture and the way that's destroyed the landscape and he built an instrument out of agricultural material so you have all these very different mm. uh, ways in to thinking about this um, so and you're if, improvising it yeah completely yeah. so I learned a, a hell of a lot from doing this and it was I would say this was very much collective this is yeah. something I participated in rather than you know really my own work um, but for me, it was a real like it was a real learning experience. Well, that was going to be my question, really. <clears throat> You've come back from that. I mean, how did, does it, has it affected your kind of ideas of what you are and what you do? And has it, has, will it inform anything? Well, I'm, I'm sure it will, but in what ways will it inform what you do now? Yeah, they're all really good questions. I mean, I think whatever we do, um, to have that privileged opportunity to remove yourself from your context mm. and to inhabit a completely different one whilst it can be difficult at least initially um can be just so beneficial and and you know here we're talking about an artist residency but actually it's in ways that far kind of um out you know go outside of this the context of the residency itself i guess i think for me you know Going back to these things I mentioned at the beginning, like slow living, um, I suppose I noticed that people amongst those groups that I was with had far fewer sort of mental health concerns or <clears throat> they weren't sort of an so anxious or worried about what was going on because there was this the way of living that was just... It, things were slow, things were emergent, things were collective. Um, things were also quite localised and... You know, there's a lot of, it's interesting, there's a lot of writing, particularly about the climate crisis, you know, writers I'm interested in, like Bruno Latour or Donna Haraway, um, talk about how we need to be more local, we need to be slower, we need to be more perceptive, uh, we need to be more in touch with what's around us. Mm. And to go somewhere and to experience, you know, that kind of stuff already happening uh, and, and probably, and you know, having happened for many, many thousands of years uh, was quite, felt quite hopeful. Um, it also made me maybe notice a bit more quite how fast we live here, quite how much we pin on um, productivity, on, um, you know, achievement, uh, how we describe our, ourselves through our achievements. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard to, like, embody all of that stuff. It's hard to go, oh, I've noticed all this stuff and now I'm going to change myself. But I think sometimes just experiencing that and noticing that can slightly change maybe one's approach, so... Um, yeah, really valuable. And in terms of work you're doing now and you're going to be doing over the next six months or so, what uh, have you got anything coming up that you're that doesn't necessarily relate to this at all, but but might be that you're excited about? Yeah, I've got some a few different um, projects that I'm that I'm excited about. 
Um, when I'm doing a project with an A&E doctor at the moment, looking at the sonic environment of accident and emergency departments, and that's with some funding from the Royal College of Emergency Medicine. Um, and that's a study looking at kind of how, again, going back to the idea of the sonic environment, how we experience it, how could A&E be a more caring environment and how might sound play a role in that? So mm. we're training doctors in different listening techniques and we're going to be hosting kind of conversations with them. Mm. And then hopefully we'll create some kind of artistic output uh, and installation and host conversations after we've done the research with hospital managers and explore how we might be able to change, make kind of positive change. Um, One thing on that, I, I'm just really interested in this whole thing of how, uh, sonic environments and how we don't really think about that very much until something intrudes so drastically. Like, you know, I'm I'm just talking to somebody local, lo lives locally who's having a lot of noise disturbance from neighbours, you know, and that is dominating his life, you know, that. So his so he probably wouldn't think about his sonic environment too much. Now that's happened, he's acutely aware of it, you know, uh, and I'm... It, it's we we do take it we don't think about what we want do we 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 just sort of put up with stuff so that's i mean that's that's really made me think about that it's fascinating and and a and e yes God, where do you start we always think we the the, the the starting point seems to be in our culture anyway play some nice soothing music uh, and I, your expression doesn't convey <laughs> expression you made then doesn't convey itself to radio but yeah it's pretty awful isn't it yeah, I think uh yeah, I think a lot of a lot of it comes down to how we listen and that's I suppose to like distill this entire conversation I'm interested in how we might create situations in which through listening people gain a, a slightly different angle on things or a new uh a new way into their own experience. Um that might linger with them just beyond having that experience. And in this case it's you know it, a lot of stuff comes from noticing first. Mm. So how might we open ourselves up? And and what might that opening up do that could be positive for us as human beings? Mm. And that really relates to a lot of practices that already exist. It's nothing particularly new, you know. Um, med meditative spiritual practices have been doing that for many thousands of years. And there are many physical, somatic, um, you know, breath other practices that kind of try and instill these states of presence. Um, but I suppose my, my role as an artist is like, how might I stage these? How might I create situations that people can come into and through coming into them, um, it, through that experience, you know, proceed in a slightly different, even very, very slightly different kind of direction. Yeah, fascinating. I, yeah, I was in, I interrupted you in terms of other things that you're uh, excited about, and then I wanted to ask you one final thing. Anything else that you're, uh, you know, that that you're looking forward to doing? A couple more things. I'm working with um, the wonderful Kerry Harker and Claire Irving of East Leeds Project on a on a, a project called Moon Palace, which is a school bus that's being converted into a mobile observatory. And I'm my mum's partner is a uh, amateur radio enthusiast, and together we're developing some technology to listen to the sound of lightning in the ionosphere. Mm. Um, it's called spherics. It means, um, yeah, they give the, this lightning at the very edge of the Earth's atmosphere and just before space gives off this kind of amazing crackling sound. So we're mm. trying to stage situations in which people can listen to this live, cast their ears up to the edge of the Earth's atmosphere. And then the final thing is. Um, I have a commission working with the University of Leeds um, to, to make a sound work that responds to 
uh, a woodland that they've just planted about seven miles north of the university campus. So the idea will be to send live sound feeds from the woodland onto the campus mm. uh, in various ways and allow people to, you know, to be transported to that space. And that will be a, you know, that will be there for at least ten years. So hopefully they'll be able to hear the sound of that uh, woodland evolving over time. Um, so yeah, a couple of other projects. That is brilliant, Alex, and, and thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today and playing us some of your wonderful material. And it strikes me that you know we, you could do some wonderful work here at Chapel FM, given the fact that we are about sound. You know, we live in a very visual culture. I always say that you know it's got oppressive to particularly to young people. I think the whole thing about looking a certain way, we don't pay enough uh, attention to sound and what we hear. And actually what we say and listening to other people to talk as well. And that's what we're about, you know. Um, so it would be lovely to involve you here in some way in the kind of work that you do, um, in particular around, yeah, sort of, yeah, the listening environment, the sonic environment. So, yeah, well, thanks. Good luck with all that. And yeah. I think I'm much more, uh, yeah, I'm much more in tune now in terms of I know fair with what you do, which is great. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Let's keep talking. Absolutely. And thanks, Elliot, for, 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 for doing that, as he does. And that's the end of Love the Words for today. Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Take it.